Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. This is a very special conference championship edition. I am Andy Behrens, uh, coming to you from Chicago. I am joined by the multi-sport fantasy legend, Scott Pianowski. Uh, We're coming off another absolutely phenomenal weekend in the NFL. The conference championships, they they essentially matched the divisional round for, for quality, for drama. Uh, fantastic weekend for the NFL overall. The, the Super Bowl is set. The Rams are an early four-point favorite. Perhaps we can talk about that. I know Scott will have thoughts about that eventually. Um, Absolutely no one would have predicted this matchup a year ago. Excited to have it. Scott, um, you are joining us. I should have. I kind of buried the lead here. You're joining us on your birthday. Happy birthday, sir. How are you? What are your thoughts about the weekend? Yeah, thanks, man. Um, You know, I know Nolan Ryan and Justin Timberlake and Unieski Betancourt want me to get on the January 31st text thread, but they'll have to wait. (laughs) Yeah, the NFL, the hits keep coming, right? I mean, last week was generally accepted as the best weekend of NFL playoff football collectively and then we got two more dramatic games i thought there was sloppiness at times there's a lot of sloppiness in the second half of that cincinnati kansas city game and man it was it's just weird to see patrick mahomes have like stretches of five six possessions where he doesn't score i mean that's happened so infrequently in his career and of course the i think we all knew the jimmy garoppolo experience was destined to have a a messy end in san francisco to be fair our, our old friend mike silver wrote a piece about garoppolo after the game and Grapple's been playing through a thumb injury and and you know, maybe his shoulder's not right. I mean, I don't know who's healthy in the NFL at this juncture of the season, but um, you know, who's to say how healthy Garoppolo really was and, and maybe some of those throws aren't his fault. But it was exciting. All we really ask is for the games to be interesting, for the games to be entertaining. And you also want to see a glimpse, and this is what one thing that Sunday really had for us, is that you like to see the best players do the great things oh, right and yeah also if you were betting if you're any kind of a touchdown prop better it's like oh there's your Tyreek Hill touchdown there's your Travis Kelsey touchdown Jamar Chase just won a great one-on-one battle where he was pretty pretty much covered caught anyway and then Debo and, and Cooper Cup were doing their their thing I, I, I'm just going to be mad when Cup doesn't win the MVP because he's the best player in football I, I know it's a treatise on what the word invaluable means and all that but he had the best season in football this year and every week he does it no matter what level of play we get from Stafford. So it was a really fun, uh, really fun weekend. Yeah, I know we talked a lot last week about Chris Wesseling, uh, the NFL.com writer we lost a year ago. He was a Bengals fan. Uh, his wife is from Los Angeles. She's a Rams fan. So she was in her glory. Um, his, his widow was at the, was at the Rams game and she just couldn't believe the way that day fell for, for the Wesseling family. So just a shout out to those guys. Um, it was pretty cool to see that. And you know, Joe Burrow, Joe Posnanski wrote this a couple of weeks ago. There's just certain athletes that are so, I don't know, just likable and great and, and seem to have a joy in them that it's a, it's hard to imagine anybody disliking them. Okay. If you're not a Golden State Warrior fan, fine. But Steph Curry, I think, is impossible to dislike. I think Mahomes is like that. And, and Posnanski was positing that Joe Burrow was like that. I mean, he's just a person easy to root for. He won, Burrow won me over with his Heisman speech, just how grateful it was and, and how it touched on the, the path he had been on, everybody who'd helped him. And you know, we saw the swag he was wearing going into Arrowhead and, and just the way he, he composed himself in interviews. It seems very genuine. I, I, it just seems like a guy you'd want to be, as, as Posnanski said, 
you just don't want to root for these guys. You want to be their friend, you know? And, and that's kind of how I feel about Joe Burrow. I want, I want to have a drink with Joe Burrow or a cigar with Joe Burrow or just, you know, I, I, want, I want to be one of his buddies. I just, I, I can't imagine anybody right now, unless you're an AFC North fan, maybe of a different team who's like against Joe Burrow. He just seems like one of the most fun guys going. But again, they're all over the place. Debo's a blast. Cooper Cup's a blast. You know, Jamar Chase is a blast. You know, we, we, we got to watch some unbelievable football the last two weeks. And, um, you know, I'm just over the moon over it. It's such a great point about Burrow. I'm not going to be able to credit this. Um, I'm not sure who tweeted it first, but somebody somebody tweeted during the games yesterday that uh, Joe Burrow is basically turned into the quarterback that we expected or hoped that Baker Mayfield would become, right? Like we had, we had that set of expectations for what Joe Burrow is actually doing, the way he carries himself. He's able to come across as both arrogant and humble in a way, right? Super likable. Um, you're absolutely right about him. The, it's, it's a party of a team too. It is a, it is a flawed but really fun team. And I also feel like we, you know, fantasy managers probably haven't lost sight of it because we came into this season, you know, sweating the Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase situation in training camp, right? Like, Beat writers saying that Joe Burrow doesn't look right, that Jamar Chase isn't catching everything that's thrown his way. There were like concerns about him. Joe Burrow's come so far, like a significant injury last season. Just not to, you know, talk about things that I've already tweeted, but um, I was thinking about this last night. Like, if you'd told anybody immediately following the 2020 season that in the next Super Bowl we were going to get Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow, like, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy how far we've come. You know, I made a prediction, a bold prediction before the 2020 season. I said, Joe Burrow is going to have the greatest rookie fantasy quarterback season of all time. Uh, by the way, he did not have the greatest rookie fantasy season of all time, although Justin Herbert may have. And, and you know, the poor Miami fans have to live with the two of Herbert comparisons. You know, just like, you know, um, we're always going to compare Jalen Rager and we're always going to compare him to Justin Jefferson. And, you know, my Patriot f- friends know that every time – Debo Samuel or, or DK Metcalf or AJ Brown or Terry McCorn make a play. I, I have uh, the twinges of why did the Patriots take Nikhil <laughs> Harry? But man, it, it just seems like not that long ago that Burroughs was get Burrow was getting his knee destroyed, and and even that he handled gracefully. You know, and yeah. and this year, right? I mean, what, did he get sacked nine times? Was it in the Tennessee game? I, yeah. I, I mean, he's he's taken a lot of hits. Sometimes it's him holding the ball long, trying trying to set up a play. They don't have a great offensive line. There was a big debate. During the draft, should they go with the, the the generational bookend tackle or should they get another receiver? Obviously, he and, and Chase made you know wonderful music together at LSU. But the thought in a lot of people's minds, and honestly, I, I wasn't super dug in on this, but I thought maybe the lineman was the way to go because I, I thought Cincinnati already had good receiver talent. Now I, I take all of that back. Whatever. The fix the offensive line <laughs> next year. I'm just so glad that Burrow and Chase are on the same team. And it's just such a blast to watch. And, and even... I even think this is fun to watch like Chase Chase wearing number one, Beckham wearing number three. What a great story yeah. Beckham is, right? I mean, his his career he just, just wasn't the right he was in a bad relationship in Cleveland, but you know, I don't know if it, whose fault it was, but uh he's on the Rams now. He he feels supported and loved by that organization and he's um he's making plays again. He looks cool in that number three and um Are we uh, are we, we giving Odell Beckham's dad executive of the year? Is that <laughs> that over you know the sad part about all of this is you, you mentioned like you, you know burrow is, is the quarterback we thought maybe mayfield was going to be i mean burrow's an ohio kid so i just feel sorry for the browns fans that you know okay you've been usurped by a, a franchise in your division a franchise in your state by an ohio kid and, and then you know the receiver that you couldn't unlock that you, you could never get on the same page with baker mayfield now he goes to the rams and he's you know, let's be fair i mean cooper cooper cup is the alpha of that offense it's unbelievable how he's constantly open and i know that's you know part of that is is cup's competitiveness his skill his twitchiness his uh eating breakfast with matthew stafford apparently (laughs) i'm gonna go over all the i'm gonna i'm gonna know what quarterbacks are eating meals with what receivers next year because that's obviously a thing seriously Uh, who knew knew that was a fantasy blind spot right (laughs) how much cup did you have this year were you overweight on cup um I can't, I can't tell you the number of leagues off the top of my head. Um, several because I had cup like a spot ahead of Robert Woods, I, I basically ranked him as a coin. That flip, was right? the but, key. But if you just like a, a tick or two above Bob Woods, not that Woods wasn't having a great season. He was, he was having a perfectly fine season, some quiet games really early on, but obviously nailing that call was, was about as important as anything in fantasy. If you get two very simple things, right. If you slightly preferred cup to cup to Woods, 
And if you slightly prefer Debo to Ayuk, yeah, you are right. sleeping in hundred dollar bills now. I mean, life <laughs> is easy. Life, you are on easy street, man. I mean, maybe if you're like, oh yeah, don't worry about Jamar Chase; he's going to be fine. I, throw that I won a couple leagues. Can... I don't know that I would exactly characterize my life as sleeping on hundred dollar bills, but you know, it's a, it's a good season. Well, after, after, you know, after your book was optioned to a movie, that's, that's really when, when Andy <laughs> Barron's cashed out, you know, since then you've been coasting a little bit, you know, I, I don't feel like we're getting your full effort every week because, you know, you just don't have the motivation. You're like, you know, you just got the, you just got the Darren Dreifert, like nine year contract or whatever. It's you know, fair. It's like, I'm not going to argue with it. What else do we need it's to fair. do? For the for the seven people listening who know who Darren Dreifert is, uh, maybe Brenda <laughs> Funtz is listening. But. It's actually once I won the the second straight Stopa League, I've I've been coasting ever since. Uh, riding, riding. Yeah, I made the playoffs uh, the in Stopa League every year, man. I don't know if anybody else can claim that. Um, let's wow, we're off the rails. Let's uh, let's yes, actually let's dive into the Cincinnati KC game uh, and try to get ourselves back on the rails. There's there's actually a lot of off field stuff to discuss. There's coaching hires. There's um, some eminent or maybe already broken Tom Brady news. We'll get into all of that later. Want to start with the games? Um, you mentioned Joe Burrow, and there's a lot to talk about there. Let's just sort of generally talk about Cincinnati and KC. The thing goes to overtime. This is beautiful, by the way, for anybody who really has a, an axe to grind with. Uh, the overtime rules in the NFL, the thing goes to overtime and a team actually stopped Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs. Um, really a wonderful defensive play actually on the interception. I thought I don't even blame anybody there. I thought it was just a great play for the second time this season, Cincinnati, like in some ways it was very much like the first game, right? Cincinnati could not stop Casey's offense in the first half of a game. Couldn't stop it. And then they just absolutely thoroughly dominated the, the second half. Um, it's a weird script to see repeat itself, but it did. Um, Kansas City had an 11-point lead, and the ball at second and goal from the one-yard line with five seconds remaining in the first half, they get the ball to begin the second half. Like, that is an incredible win probability situation. I don't know exactly what it was, but it had to be 90-plus, right? Like, multi-score lead, you're clearly about to score again, and then you're going to get the ball to begin the second half. So uh, an, an unbelievable situation that Kansas City somehow handed over to Cincinnati. Like, it's amazing that Cincinnati came back and won that game. I was ready to, like, start making some phone calls, maybe, you know, keep one eye on the game and get the food ready for the second game, right? But then all of a sudden we had a ball game. Yeah, you know, I think it's important to remember when teams get near the goal line, you know, we're we're in this golden age of analytics and and trying to do the right thing. The stat heads have, have infiltrated the NFL. And I mean, look, you you have a balance of it. You you have to know what the numbers are and what the probabilities are, but you also have to play to the game situation that's in front of you. Um, The personnel that you have, the personnel the opponent has, maybe weather concerns kick in, what time, where you are in the juncture of the game. When it comes down to being aggressive at the goal line at the end of a half, remember that you you lose the ability to pin the opponent. Okay. If, if, If you're like at fourth and goal at the one yard line, in the middle of the second quarter, if you don't make it, the other team takes over at the one yard line and that field position equity has value. If it's at the end of the half, you're not going to get the the value of the field position equity. So that changes things a little bit. I didn't mind Kansas city being aggressive, trying to score a touchdown, but the final play that they called, I would have just called a Mahomes catches the ball and throws it. And, and maybe that has a tiny chance of succeeding, but I don't want to throw the field goal in the ocean. Understanding that the game at that point wasn't particularly competitive and, you know, I don't think anybody was like, oh, my God, they're going to really regret that not having that field goal. But, of course, when the second half kicked in, they did regret not having that field goal. It, it was, again, strange to see Mahomes struggling. I I thought Kansas City's big problem this year, and, and we saw them occasionally. Look, they, they had signs of being the, the bully Kansas City the last couple of months. But as great as Hill is, as great as Kelsey is, I, I thought this offense struggled for not having a consistent third pitch. At times, Darrell Williams was effective. There was a Dirk McKinnon signing in the playoffs. Occasionally, McCole Hardman makes a play or Byron Pringle needs a play, makes a play. I think this team needs a reliable third. You know, somebody like Tyler Boyd, you know, not that he's going anywhere, would, would be great on the Chiefs. Or like you know, Emmanuel Sanders, who he was like four or five years ago, that type of player. I think this offense needs one more guy they can rely on when other teams are, for whatever reason, marking the uh the hill and kelsey show downfield effectively and you give credit to the to the bengals for just hanging in there and you know, not being overwhelmed by the moment and 
eventually it wasn't a monster chase game by any means, but eventually he got it going. You know, T Higgins reminded us that he's a, a heck of a receiver too. I think I'm going to have a lot of T Higgins next year because he kind of gets obscured. You know, Ch- chase is probably the alpha star there, but T Higgins, he's, he, he has like a wide receiver seven or wide receiver nine or wide receiver 11 type of season percolating in him because chase is on that roster. I, I think you'll probably get Higgins at closer to wide receiver 20 or something like that. I'm just spitballing. I haven't done my receiver rankings in ink yet, but I think he might be a nice value. Just a credit to the Bengals just to keep playing. And the overtime thing, we didn't, I didn't get your take on it last week. I wouldn't mind if home field advantage in the playoffs meant that you just were assumed to be the coin flip winner in overtime. I think the overtime rules are fine. Stop somebody. Cincinnati stopped Kansas City. It's And once you stop somebody in overtime, all of a sudden you only need a field goal. And, and one of the unsung heroes of the Bengals is this kid McPherson who's you know, he looks like another Justin Tucker, right? I mean, he, he's yeah. It's unfair to say Tucker with any other kicker's name, but I mean, this that once Cincinnati got the ball, everybody was like, "Oh my God, they don't have to move it very far because McPherson's <laughs> just going to make it," you know. Right. Uh, and then, of course, they they did penetrate so deeply that it felt like the game was pretty much over. And then he put it right down the middle, and much like Justin Tucker, right? Every Justin Tucker kick is right down the middle. McPherson feels like that kind of kicker. We've never the kicking is so good in the NFL; it's almost boring now. Although they do shank extra points once in a while, but um, you know, I, you and I are old enough to remember that a kick outside of the forty yard range was like a little bit risky, and anything right, outside the fifty, right. what, what are you doing? Right? You know, it's like driving your car with the door open. You know, it just it seemed reckless. You know, now we're, we're at a different point with that. It's but, why um, like Janikowski was such a revolution when he came into the league, right? A guy who was bankable, perhaps from fifty. He wasn't even bankable from fifty yards, but they would let him try the occasional sixty-five yarder. You never saw that. Hot take. I, I know Evans will kill me for this, um, but I don't mind fantasy. I don't mind kickers in fantasy. I'm not saying I want the my fantasy leagues to be about kickers, but I don't mind them being in the league. How do you feel on that? Well, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. Um, I think it's an essential part of it. Like, I'm, I'm just somebody who wants every aspect that is important in the real game to be present to some extent in the, in the fantasy version, right? And you can't, like, I mean, it's ridiculous to say that kicking isn't important. Of course it's important. Evan McPherson has been a difference-making It's weird to say, I guess, but Evan McPherson has been a difference-making player for the Bengals. And he's, and he's clearly, like, an upper-tier player at, at, a, at a critical position, like... Kicking is, is uh, it, generally speaking, it's one of those things that uh, we, we don't think a lot about until you absolutely need somebody who's nails, right? And, and then it gets a lot of attention if somebody, if somebody misses in an important spot. Um, and they're the relief pitchers. They're the, the closers of the NFL, right? Yeah. I mean, you may think, oh, any, anybody in baseball can close. But when you have a contending team that has a shaky closer, your entire city will suffer emotionally with that. And, and you, it will be the most painful thing that you go through. And it's like that... Right. Packer fans. Right. The prediction of Green Bay was that their demise would ultimately be felt by their special teams problems. And what happened? They had two kicks blocked against the 49ers in a game where San Francisco really did almost nothing else. Right. I mean, they played pretty well on defense, but the Niners really didn't play well enough to win other than they blocked two key kicks. And and that was the reason why they stole that game. Uh, It's yeah. Yeah. Kickers. Kickers are, you know, they're a dime a dozen and they're replaceable until you don't have one or until you, you have a Justin Tucker or an Evan McPherson. Um, we were spoiled with the Patriots with Vinatieri, and then he, of course, he kicked for the Colts for a million years too. He was kind of like the Carlton Fisk of kickers. He actually kicked longer for the Colts <laughs> than he did for the Patriots, but um, and is probably going to the Hall of Fame. But yeah, it's you know, kickers you, you can laugh them off, but when you don't have that guy, when you don't have the kicker you trust, man, it can be a very striving. Mean, you lived through the double doink with the Bears just a few years ago, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know what's been, you know what's like when you don't have a kicker you can trust. Um, yeah, people don't need to hear me do a deep dive on kickers, but I will also say that like you go back, you know, a century, um, a little bit more than a century and field goals are actually worth more than touchdowns, right? Like the game developed around kicking and kicking as a skill. Um, I do think that there's things that we can do to fix scoring, right? Like I don't need a six point field goal in fantasy. I don't need a five point field goal in fantasy. I'm fine if they're all three, we don't, you know, we can de-emphasize the scoring a bit, but I think it would be ridiculous to get rid of the position entirely. I also think we could fix defensive scoring. A lot of people don't like the flukiness of the touchdowns. I think we just need to find scoring systems that better reflect a defense. I also like adding victory points. You know, why not say your defense gets five points if they win the game or three points or whatever, something so that you're, you throw a little bit of handicapping into the defensive position as well. Um, to a, to a point that you made a little while ago about Joe Burrow, I, one of the many things that has really impressed about him this season, I think, and you, and you really saw this against the chiefs, like 
that dude led the league in um, getting sacked this year. He was sacked 51 times. Um, and I believe he also led the league in like yards lost to sacks, right? Like he, he took an absolute pounding this year. And so often we see quarterbacks, um, yeah, young quarterbacks and veteran quarterbacks, if they have, you know, they string together a couple of seasons like that and they can become shell-shocked. But man, that guy keeps his eyes downfield all of the time, right? Like he does not look like a guy who has been just absolutely hammered over the course of the season, even though he has, right? He's taken an absolute beating. And still, he, he's a guy who's always eyes downfield, um, doesn't, doesn't appear the least bit rattled, um, never seems like his heart rate gets above 80, right? Like um, incredibly cool, despite having taken just uh, absolute abuse this year. Yeah, those, those are two huge keys to the position. You know, Greg Cosell will always talk about that. Are the eyes dropping to the rush or is the focus downfield? And, and I think eventually we're going to get to the point where, like, the combine's going to have all the heart rates of the quarterbacks. The whole key is when everything's chaotic around you that you are in this position where your mind is is processing clearly and, and you have this, like, high sense of, like, emotional and mental arousal, not not in a risque way, but just in a way that you, you can – process the way you need to and you know, all, all that stuff has been studied you know the best nascar race racers apparently have these heart rates that are just unbelievably stable in the in the heat of battle and, and that's what makes these guys great is that some some player and that's yeah i know people don't like to talk about oh this guy's clutch and this guy's a choker and everything but i mean the, the point is we all handle stress differently you know there are some people who can drive in traffic and and they doesn't bother them or maybe they even kind of get a little buzz off the challenge and there's other people who you know they get put into traffic and they can't handle it they have to pull over and it's just we all handle stress differently and that's true even at the elite athletic level yeah really true um before we before we say goodbye to the chiefs entirely um you mentioned perhaps the need for uh, another secondary like an upgrade to the secondary receivers right I, i think we would both agree that kelsey and tyree kill are about as good as it gets and then there's this then there's this just uh, catastrophic drop off, right? Like I, Hardman's had some nice moments um, and he's had some nice moments lately, but I still feel like there's always one or two moments in a game, every game where Patrick Mahomes clearly expects him to be someplace other than where he is, right? Like that continues to happen. I don't, I don't know the name. We could throw out various names of receivers who are probably going to be available. I don't know if it's Allen Robinson. I don't know if he's affordable, right? But there's, there's got to be something in between McCole Hardman and, and Tyreek Hill that can fix that team. That Not fix that team. That's the wrong way to phrase it. But that can upgrade that receiving core and, and give an option. Like when, you know, in that when you get in these moments where it's – and really like Travis Kelsey doesn't encounter anybody who can take him out of a game until maybe we get to like – you think of last year's Super Bowl. You think of – like the second half of the game that we just witnessed, like that's not going to happen very often with Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey. But when it happens, you're in the biggest games against the best teams. And man, a, a, like a third option would, would certainly help. It sure would. Although you know, interesting time for the chiefs. I think Kelsey steps into an age 33 season. And when that Mahomes contract kicks into the really big dollar amounts it's going to they're going to lose a lot of their depth you know it's going to be hard for them to keep their roster the way they want it so it's it's going to be incumbent on kansas city to really be effective with their free agent picks and and man i mean it's it's so easy to say well just you know find a good value in the draft find find the the debo find the deontay johnson find the terry mclaurin you know uh, st brown the year he had in detroit this year what, what a great fit he would have been in kansas city probably i could see them maybe trying to, to get lucky in the in the draft in the second, third or fourth round. I mean, as the college game has become more and more pass friendly, we're getting unbelievable receiver groups, right? I mean, the, the, it seems like the early story of this draft is that, okay, not really sure about the quarterbacks, but man, if you want a receiver, there's a bunch of good ones and you might not have to take them in the first round either. So I wouldn't be surprised if, and I know what Hardman was an early pick for them, of course, but I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe tried to address that with a draft pick. And, and maybe, you know, with players like Allen Robinson, and just spitballing here because I, I don't I don't know his personal situation, but you know he's been on some bad football teams. He's played with some bad quarterbacks. Maybe the idea of okay, I can play with Patrick Mahomes. I can already kind of be in the playoffs the moment the season starts. Maybe that would be worth taking a prove a, a pillow contract, a prove a deal, uh, you know, less money than he could take somewhere else where he might be on a team that might win six games. 
the other thing I want to ask you about the Chiefs is whether you think this Jarek McKinnon thing has been a mirage or if that's real. Because he's, I believe he's a free agent, right? Um, it sure, all of a sudden, it sure would be nice to see Jarek McKinnon back in a Chiefs uniform, I think. I don't, like, I don't know that they need, you know, like, as much hand-wringing as you go through over Nikhil Harry, I'm sure that Chiefs fans go through it on the Jonathan Taylor, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire decision, right? Like, I mean, Edwards-Alaire's fine, but he's not... I mean, he's obviously not that guy, right? Like, and he's not a, of the caliber of running back that you would expect from a first round pick. Jarek McKinnon's looked really good. And they were like, man, they were running him. He's a little guy. And they were running him between the tackles and he looked fine. He had like some north south to him and he looked great. And maybe it's maybe it's a function of, you know, maybe Jarek McKinnon can never be a 25 touch a game guy. The Chiefs haven't necessarily used him that way, but but they used him perfectly um, over the last month or so. And he was he was brilliant. So I kind of hope he's back. Yeah, I'm torn on this one. Uh, it was fun to watch him play well and, and see him get a role. He's stepping into an age 30 season. He's missed so much time with injury. So I guess you can spin this one of two ways. You'll get his career and say, well, there's not a lot of mileage on the body. He hasn't taken that many hits. He's never had more than 160 carries in a season. But it's because he's had so many major blowouts that you wonder, I, I just, whenever a running back gets to that age, I think he has to be seen as a secondary option. I, I'd see no reason, no reason against bringing him back as a, you know, on a friendly contract where he's one of your depth players, but I think you need to shoot for a higher upside. And it's funny you mentioned CEH and Taylor. I, even though they should be linked together for whatever reason, I've never really thought of them together, but I, I've always thought, man, CEH was the wrong guy for the um, Chiefs, but man, what what if they had Taylor or even like a healthy DeAndre Swift, who I, I think right now oh. looks like he has a better career ahead than Edwards Alaire. We, we all thought, we all thought. I mean, remember the way Edwards Alaire's rookie year went, right? I mean, he basically had the starting job. You know, Williams opts out. Edwards Alaire's going to be in the pilot chair of this offense that looks unstoppable. He was a first round pick before he ever played a snap in the NFL, and and he's done nothing to justify it. I not that he's a bad player, but I, I think it's that's just going to go down as a, as a swing and a miss for Kansas City and. It's just scary to think of what, what Jonathan Taylor would be like in an Andy Reid oh. offense. Yeah, it would be it would be absolutely unstoppable. Game and I, over. you know, listen, like I didn't hate the pick, right? Because I was I, I like I watched the draft and I'm rooting for fantasy. Um, so regardless of what a team's needs are, I was like, great, Kansas City has taken somebody who is obviously going to be a centerpiece runner for that for that franchise, and of course that guy is going to consolidate the stats that went to Damian Williams and some other dudes. And now we're just going to get a, you know, he's going to gain 1,800 scrimmage yards and he's going to catch 50 passes and this is the Chiefs, so it's going to be 20 touchdowns. And it just, like, that's a short list of guys who can do anything like that and he's not on it. I think the thought was that he was going to be more electric as a receiver. I think he's actually yeah. with a disappointing part of his game. They, they thought he was going to be maybe like a Tiki Barber type of player where he could catch 70 passes a year and be a constant threat and we know we've seen so many teams, so many of the smart teams in the NFL, that's their cheat code, right? You know, I mean, the Patriots have used it for years. Uh, Sean Payton, uh, it's hard to believe he's not in the Saints anymore, but, you know, he loved to throw to his backs and think of how great you know, Kamara is just the, the most recent of those guys. They've had several good pass catching backs. And so we thought that Edward Zolaire was going to, you know, catch 70 balls, 65 balls a year and then be electric doing it. And that that's what's really surprised me is he's been so ordinary as a receiver. Let's hit uh, let's hit the 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 Rams Niners game, which was great. Plenty of you know, great game, exciting drama. Uh, maybe not quite to the standard of some of the games that we saw in the divisional round, right? Like there were there were plenty of mistakes here. I felt like the the hinge point in the game was uh, perhaps the dropped interception by by Tart right in the fourth quarter. The Niners up three. It is quite like fielding a punt and he and he just couldn't pull it in we could also argue that the hinge point in the game was Kyle Shanahan not going for it on fourth and two especially after that hideous challenge by Sean McVay right it was a weird sequence they come out and you think maybe they're going to go for it but they're just trying to draw um the Rams off sides it doesn't happen like that's that's gettable that's fourth and two that is Again, I don't know what the win probabilities were on either side of that, but you you convert that and and it's fantastic. And you don't convert it, and it's not like you've given them field goal position. So um, I, I thought that was just a key couple of minutes in that game. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier how one of the great things about this weekend was that the stars, like every star showed up, and that was definitely the case in this game. Cup, 
is targeted 14 times. He catches 11 for 142 and two touchdowns. Um, just an absolute clinic. Beckham was great. Nine catches, 113. Stafford was great. 337 through the air, a couple of scores. Kittle and Debo both scored touchdowns. Debo's was was brilliant. Just like some of the, the best tough running that we saw, I don't know, all afternoon. It was, it was a wonderful game. Weird, weird atmosphere. Like it was loud all the time because it was obviously the Rams home field. And so there are some Rams fans there. Sure seemed like there were more Niners fans there. I guess we expected that. Weirdly managed game by Sean McVay. Not that it, uh, not that it came back to to bite him in any way, right? Like um, strange challenge decisions, horrid timeout management. Didn't matter because um, they pull it out. I, I don't know. Your thoughts on this game? Yeah, you hit the key point. San Francisco's got fourth and short. They line up to, you know, ostensibly run a play. But that's one of those things. If you're if you've watched the NFL for more than a minute, you can tell they did a very poor job of of looking of looking like a team that was going to run a play, right? Um, they, and I don't think the Rams had any problem holding their water and not jumping off sides. And there, I think there were three different times where Shanahan had fourth down decisions where going for it was perfectly plausible. And in every instance, he punted. And the refrain from a lot of my friends who are 49er fans, um, I know Scott Jenstad, a great rotowire writer, was talking about this. Like, you know, I can live with it if he just says, okay, we need we need a yard or two. You'll give it to Debo, and, and we'll live with behind that offensive line, and we'll live with the result. And if we don't make it, you know, it's not like the Niner, the, the Rams are doing. I mean, you know, Stafford had some moments. Cup was terrific all game, as, as you know, obviously. But it's not like the Rams were running away from them on offense. They only scored, what was it, 20 points in, in total in the end. I can live with that. We Our defense has shown up anyway. So I think a lot of Niner fans would have liked to have seen the result of that play, or at least man, try to just – Look like you're doing something. Put Debo in motion. You know, it just, they never, Garoppolo, there's some teams that can look like they're going to run a play and some teams that can't. And I also think Frank Schwab and I have talked about this. Sometimes faking the fake is the way to go, right? Fake like you're really yes, not interested yes. in running a play. And then all of a sudden you snap it and the defense has to go, oh, crap. Like two, three seconds to- left. Like I'm waiting for a team to do that. Two, three seconds left on the clock and you actually run the play, right? Yes, I would have liked to have seen that. Uh, I feel sorry for the Nair defensive back. I mean, he, he's, it's basically a fair catch. I know. He doesn't yeah. make it. And, and the moment you see plays like that, I know it doesn't always turn out this way, but you just expect, wow, it's just, I, I feel like that's going to be a, a play that we're going to remember in this game that's going to be monumentally important. I, I feel for him because Jalen Ramsey had an interception drop. Eli Apple had a terrible interception drop, but they go on to win the game. So we're not like talking about that, but the the tart play is certainly going to go down in people's memory. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jackie Smith, the drop in the Super Bowl. Patriot fans remember Asante Samuel could have sealed up one of the New England and, you know, everybody feels bad when the Patriots lose the Super Bowl. I get it. But, <laughs> um, he, he dropped a, uh, a pass. There's also a, a Welker drop. Um, Brady threw a little bit behind Wes Welker on a pass that would have probably iced the second Giants game. But, you know, this is why we love the game. These moments are crystallized. And the NFL has such a great, you know, we talked, we're talking beforehand about, you know, how it's obviously the overwhelming sport in America. And a lot of it is just how bombastic it is. And, you know, it's, it's the athletes are unbelievably talented and, and the, and the game has, it's very visceral and everything, but there's always, there's always something, to think along with and to criticize and to second guess, you know, what, what should the play call have been? Should we have gone for it or not? What, what should our approach have been? Should we have challenged that play or not? So you're always thinking along and you're always thinking, well, what's Sean McVay doing? It's so hard to win a spot challenge. Why is he throwing his challenges in the ocean away like this? Um, or you know, what, what is Kyle Shanahan doing? You know, what, why is he punting in plus territory? But that, that's part of the fun of the game is that the NFL you know, they say that the best games are the games that are simple to understand, but, but very difficult to master. And that's the NFL. It doesn't take long to understand what the object of the game is and what the teams are ostensibly trying to do. But to under you, you and I will never understand the NFL as well as, you know, Bill Belichick does or Greg Cosell does or you know, Bill Walsh did or somebody like that. The game is so freaking complicated. And yet, no matter what your sophistication level is, you can play along with it. And, you know, we can sit here and criticize or question or wonder, you know, what Shanahan did. Well, why can't Cal Shanahan finish out these games? That's going to be this is probably the last Garoppolo game in, in San Francisco. I mentioned earlier, you know, who knows how bad that thumb was? Who knows how bad that shoulder was? But the legacy of Garoppolo and, and Shanahan is going to be that they had so many big leads, they couldn't salt them away. They they somehow found the exit door against Dallas. It felt like they were trying to lose that game. Of course, <laughs> Dallas was trying to lose it at the same time. But, you know, the Super Bowl against Kansas City, they found a way to not win that game. This was a 10-point lead in the second half. They couldn't, 
get the get the win in this game. And you know, uh, would you want Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be on the market? He's going to be available. And what is the upside? Is he still a plus quarterback? Is he a league average quarterback? I mean, is he Andy Dalton at this point? Is he? I mean, how good is? Would you want um, if you were a team that had a quarterback need? If you were the Broncos, do you think Garoppolo is good enough? If you're the Steelers, is Garoppolo good enough? I mean, what what team would make sense for Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah, it's uh, well, you you mentioned a couple of them. Um, he's, I mean, he's just clearly going to be a consolation prize, right? In this offseason. Um, everybody's going to be talking about whether Russell Wilson will change teams, whether or not Aaron Rodgers is going to change teams. Um, there, there are some clear franchises that have immediate needs and that are pretty good, except they don't have the most important piece, right? Like the, the Broncos are that team. The Steelers are that team. Like we can make a case for those franchises, um, but they are apparently missing the absolute most important piece and the most difficult piece to get. There's a couple of them available. Like there's going to be a musical chairs game that go, that goes on this off season and, and somebody's going to get, Stuck feels like an unfortunate word, right? Because I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is bad. I hate that we're at a place where like every snap, every play they run is just a referendum on Jimmy Garoppolo and it rewrites the script on Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Like he completes a pass on third down. Shout shout out, by the way, to mutual friend Mike Salfino, who was making the point that the Niners sure do put Jimmy Garoppolo in a lot of third and long situations with their dedication to, <laughs> to running on first and second down, right? Like they, they set him up to have to make um, a bunch of difficult plays. And like, I think he's been good. The one time he got to a Super Bowl, I mean, I, I, I don't like to put it all on him, but he did miss some huge throws that were makeable throws that, that Hall of Fame quarterbacks make. And I, I don't, you know, I don't want to criticize the guy for not being in the, you know, in the absolute top tier of quarterbacks, but he's not. Um, and I think that's evident. Like, I, I understand if you're a Niners fan, that you just rally to your guy. L- like, listen, the Bears made the playoffs with Jay Cutler, right? Like, the Bears were in an, a, a conference championship game with Jay Cutler. So I know what it's like to have to rally to a quarterback who is just kind of a regrettable decision for the franchise, right? Like, Rex I get Grossman it. went to a Super Bowl, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> That did happen, I, right? I have lived the experience of having to just kind of circle the wagons around a guy who was clearly deeply flawed. Um, but that but that is Garoppolo, right? Like you can't, you can't just heap praise on the guy for just being a winner when they be, they win the Packers game because they they score on a punt block, right? Like that that game had very little to do with Garoppolo. Do I think he's one of the thirty best quarterbacks in the league? He probably is. Um, he's going to land somewhere. He's had some really nice moments. He's had a very difficult time staying healthy over any full season. Um, that that is that is certainly a concern. So I just, you know, this is a very long way of saying that I think he ends up as a consolation prize in this offseason. And I I doubt that he's a guy that anybody goes goes out and says, that's our number one priority. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to frame it. As far as Mike's salient point about Garoppolo being in third and long a lot, we have to give the Rams defense credit that sure. two, two things that the Niners wanted to hang their hat on is the power running game of Eli Mitchell and Debo Samuel. And the Rams defended both of those guys extremely well. I mean, Mitchell had one of his poorest games of the season. And I think Debo was seven for 26 on the ground. If you t- told the Rams before the game, uh, Debo's going to run seven times <laughs> for 26 yards. Yeah, yeah, we'll sign up for that right now because he was a problem for everybody with all well, that jet sweeps a- action. And even Samuel just becoming a more traditional running back in the final five, six, seven weeks of the season. I'm really curious to see how much they run that back next year um, because I, I don't, not that Debo's a slight player by any means, but I, you know, when you're when you're a running back, you're getting tackled by the heaviest people on the defense, and I, I don't know that I want him running the ball 100, 120 times a game. I think like three to five times a game might be the sweet spot for that. You know, Kyle Shanahan knows more about offensive design. I will than say I do, that but. at least he looks like he's built for it, right? Um, and I am super curious to see if if other teams try to utilize star receivers as like a version of that, because we, we saw, I thought, I thought we were going to see more of this, um, this past weekend, but like we saw a little glimmer of it with Jamar chase, right? Like they gave him some, some touches out of the backfield a few weeks ago. That stuff is exciting to see. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a trend. Um, we saw, we saw Amon Ross St. Brown in the backfield a little bit for, for the lions toward the end of the season. Like, but that would be, it's going to, it's going to make, um, position eligibility arguments really thorny and I'm going to want to stay out of them. Right. But, but they'll be valid. I mean, it's going to be valid next year to talk about Debo Samuel as a potential running back. I don't know where we'll land on that. I don't know where the Niners will land on it, but he played the position. There's no arguing it. Yeah. It's interesting how this shifted because it used to be when you had a multi-talented receiver, the idea was, okay, use him on some jet sweep action and, 
And then you you have to throw you can throw that window dressing out, and the defense has to respect it. But it became something different this year because Samuel and of course Cordero Patterson for a large part of the season in Atlanta were used as legitimate eye formation running back. You know, yeah. They're standing behind the quarterback and they're going to run the ball off tackle. By the end of the year, that's all Patterson was really. Yeah, he wasn't even a receiver anymore, right? So it's um it's fun just to see the game constantly evolving and. You know, bottom bottom line is this: Debo Samuel is one of the most exciting players in the league. Kyle Shanahan is obviously, you know, for whatever his failures have been in some of these end games, if, however you want to grade that out, he's a fun offensive designer. And then next year, you'll have Trey Lance, who we don't know much about. I mean, he he hardly played in college last year, so I guess it kind of made sense that this was his redshirt year. Maybe he just wasn't, you know, physically and emotionally ready to play in the NFL. I don't think. I know a lot of people think, hey, you draft that rookie quarterback, you get to get him going right away. I think the Niners having a bridge season with Garoppolo in retrospect makes a lot of sense. I mean, they, they came within one drive of going to the Super Bowl. And Lance, given what he was coming into, it maybe just throwing him to the fire didn't make a lot of sense. But uh, that's going to be a fun offense next year. I'd like to see a better year from Kittle. I'd like to see a better year from Ayuk. I would think, what, Samuel's probably a second-round pick next year, do you think? Or does he has he moved into the first round? Where, where are we going to grade him right now? Yeah, that's really tough. I think he probably sneaks into the back end of the first round. Okay, right. I um, there's not a, I don't, there's not a tight end that we're going to take in the first round next year. I'm trying to, I'm trying to run through all the players that are going to be leaving the first round. Um, don't know that. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see Saquon Barkley in the first round this year. I'm just thinking it through. Are we going to see Zeke Elliott in the first round? I don't know. I think, I think Debo is probably. Does he land eight, ten, something like that? I think he's back into the first round. Well, I would take I would take Chase and Jefferson over him. I think, but again, this, this it's January. I mean, you know, I mean, I it's, I reserve my right to change a lot of this stuff, and so much is, is going to happen between now and then. But it's just fun. There's just so there's so many great receivers in the league right now, and um, the fact that teams are being more creative in how they get used. You know, also another thing that I, I want to point out is that you know Cup. Teams teams now understand that scoring touchdowns is about quickness, is about winning in contested areas. You, you know, think think of all the Devontae Adams touchdowns he scored when he's been well covered, but he has such an unbelievable chemistry with Aaron Rodgers. But you know, with, with a lot of these receivers now, you know, the year Hunter Renfro had, right, where he had a, a big touchdown season. It's we've gone away from this. Oh, let's get the six three, two hundred and twenty five pound receiver and throw him a fade <laughs> pass. That that's out the window now. It's become more of a game of spacing, quickness, and and you know, option routes, leverage stuff like that. And so you, it's possible that players who used to have a touchdown profile of like three to five touchdowns, four to six touchdowns, those guys can be eight, nine, ten touchdown players going forward. I'm glad you hit Cooper Cup because I wanted to discuss him a little bit before we before we left this game entirely. Just you know, and obviously we've talked about him a great deal uh, on this pod. Not only does he have a, a regular season that you could slide right into, I don't know, uh, Jerry Rice's career stats, and it looks like it belongs. It's one of the greatest receiver seasons of all time. He's been phenomenal in the postseason. Like it, this, he wasn't just like a one-hit wonder um, on on Sunday. He's got he's got four TDs in the in the postseason so far. He's been every bit as unstoppable in the in the playoffs as he was in the regular season. There's no stopping this thing now. What a phenomenal year! I don't like. I don't know who makes the leap next year. I don't I don't know that we were even guaranteed that there's, you know, last year it was Stefan Diggs who we had very low expectations for. Some of us didn't have low expectations for. I, I think I did going into last year. He makes an enormous leap. This year it's Cooper Cup. I don't know who it's going to be next year, who's like that round four, round five receiver who does this. Um, but like tip of the cap to Cooper Cup, who has just been perfect. Um, just an absolutely flawless season. If he is a big Super Bowl, the gold standard for wide receiver playoff, I, I believe Terrell Davis had the best um, running back postseason, although Emmett Smith might have been really close. There's one guy who stands head and shoulders above everybody else, Larry Fitzgerald, the year that the yeah. Cardinals and Steelers yeah. had the Super Bowl. That Fitzgerald had the best wide receiver playoff run ever. And Cup can challenge that if he throws another, like he just did 11, 142, and two. If, he, if he's in that neighborhood, in the Super Bowl, he's going to be right there with Fitzgerald, and we'll, we'll probably have to argue about did did Cup just have the best receiver seat postseason of all time? That that's what who he's running with, and you just I'm just looking at his game logs right now, and it's just double digit targets just about every week. He goes over 100 yards, you know, like 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 13 different times. It, it just became a touchdown. Scotty was a, he was a wide receiver one in 15 of 17 games. 
it's just it's it's just ridiculous. We we know we, we came into he came into the league playing a little bit of substandard competition, although he always played well against the better teams in college. Uh, a son of a coach, as so many great he NFL players are. The best teams that he that he yes, like, he did. You threw a Pac-12 uh, team on his schedule, and it was a guaranteed like one eighty and three touchdowns. He's already he's already kind of a stinky twenty nine though next yeah. year. Um, would you have the guts to take him first overall? How early are we going with Cup? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to withhold that until until I know where Aaron Rodgers is and where Devontae Adams is, because um, I, I think I would lean Devon. I mean, Devontae is just strung together season after season that are absolutely elite. I, I don't think I'd veer away from Adams. You know, I, I have no not only do I have no proof of this. I don't even know how logistical it is, but I have a feeling Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers are like, man, I don't want to play ball with anybody else. We're 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 going somewhere together. We're going to we're going to stay here. We're going to go somewhere else. But we're, you know. We, we, we have more dunking to do on the NFL. I was I was listening to you and Harmon talk about whether, you know, in the fantasy era, there had been another combo that has exactly that chemistry at that high a level. I can give you Marvin Harrison and Peyton Manning, and I can't, I don't think I can give you any other tandem that can match those two. I mean, for a moment, I guess you could, and we're going to transition this at some point. I mean, for, for a, a brief moment, Brady and Moss were about as good as it got too. Yeah, well, that's actually a pretty good transition because we have to get to the off-field stuff at some point. I don't even completely know how to talk around this this Tom Brady thing because we have we have several national reporters right now. It began with Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington. Um, we uh, Ian Rappaport has has since confirmed. I don't know is that even the right word uh, that have said that Tom Brady is walking away at age 44. It's been 22 seasons. He made the Super Bowl in 10 of those. That is just stupid. That is a thing that I would not have thought was possible two decades ago, but apparently it is. But as we as we speak, Tom Brady himself has not confirmed this. He's not confirmed any of this. So I, I hate speaking about his career in the past tense um, without him getting to actually leave the stage and make the announcement. Um, but it does seem like this is it for Brady. Um, obviously you've been a, a Patriots fan, uh, low these many years. I don't know what else to say about him other than that. It's been like the career is so great that we can't even speak about it in NFL. To, like it's bigger than the NFL, right? Like he's, he's reached a plateau. Like, I mean, who is more synonymous with just pure winning Bill Russell? Maybe, I don't know. Like it's a short list of guys that are as, um, synonymous with winning as in a team sport too in a, in a sport where like no individual should be able to imprint the game quite the way that that Brady has it's just been it's just been a stupid career and if this is it to to close your career with 5300 passing yards and 43 TDs and leading the NFL in completions and yards and touchdowns and all the important stuff and arguably being the best quarter, the best player at the most important position in the game in your final season at age 44. None of it makes sense. It's deal with the devil stuff. Um, just, just a, an unreal career. Yeah. Finishes as the quarterback three with, with almost no rushing juice to his game. I mean, his career is, is really upside down to a certain extent because he, he wins the three quick championships with new England, but he was a, a good, not great, fantasy quarterback that team was built on balance on offense he was working with a lot of good but not electrifying receivers troy brown was a good player dm branch was a good player david givens who got a huge contract thanks to brady was was a nice player but you know there was no superstar he was throwing to and then of course 2007 happens and 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 to be fair one of those years i'm I'm just kind of poo-pooing i mean brady did lead the league in touchdown passes but it was like with 26 or 28 or something like that the game was a lot different then 2007 hits. Randy Moss comes in. They blow up. They blow up the game. Obviously, a lot happened that year with the Spygate thing. The Patriots basically decided to give the middle finger to the whole league. Uh, they would throw in the fourth quarter. They would throw with 35 point leads. They didn't care. You couldn't set, set the point spread high enough. At one point, they were a 24.5 point favorite against the Eagles, and that kicked in. This is kind of the second phase of Brady's career where they weren't winning championships, but they had some unbelievable teams. The 07 team was amazing. The 2010 team that beat the Jets at Gronkowski's rookie year. They beat the Jets 45-3. to They bet the Jets again in the playoffs, and they saw a different Jets team. The Jets team somehow, that that one really stung for me because I I thought that team was certainly going to win the whole thing. 2014, they go to Kansas City on Monday night. Kansas City eats their lunch. I traded Brady famously cheaply in the Stopa League, one of the dumbest (laughs) trades in fantasy history. Still made the playoffs. 
then the Patriots, of course, still went to the Super Bowl. You know, the on to Cincinnati game, right? Where Belichick, you know, the the always gracious and defeat Bill Belichick would just say we're on to Cincinnati. Wouldn't talk about the wouldn't talk about that game at all. But man, I you know, when Brady decided he wanted to play into his forties, you always see these stats of, you know, what quarterbacks had done after the age of forty. And it's basically there's nothing. There's nothing to compare it to. And he had and MB- I don't know if he'll be the MVP. I think Rodgers is probably going to win it. As I said earlier, I would I would vote for Cup if it's the most outstanding player. If it had to be the best quarterback, I think I would lean Brady. I mean, if they want to pick Rodgers, I don't have a problem with it. You know, Josh Allen put up a, a really a really nice argument. In fact, if you look at the all-time greatest fantasy quarterback seasons, Brady's best season grades out as quarterback eight. Uh, Josh Allen's actually already already beat that twice. If we, if we just look at the Mahomes, I think has the, the highest scoring, or either him or Lamar Jackson. I forget who is number one, but uh, Brady's 2007 season comes out at number eight. There's some. I, athletes- I think that it's Mahomes overall total scoring, and I think it's Lamar on a per game basis. I think. Is yep, what it is. you're probably right on that. You know, Boston's been really lucky that there's been certain players. I'm, I'm certainly not old enough to. It may be my birthday, but I'm not old enough to remember Ted Williams. But Ted Williams was <laughs> one of those guys who was just going to be great until the moment he just decided to stop playing. Uh, David Ortiz had, mon- you know, just got in the Hall of Fame, had monster numbers his final season. You know, Brady certainly can still play at a high level. He could play if he wants to, but just at some point, you just think, okay, I still have, I'm still reasonably healthy in a game where that's never to be assumed. I have a family, I have a wife, I have other things I want to do. I'd like to be able to have a normal quality of life the rest of the way. I've, I've played for two and a half decades. I wrote a piece for Yahoo, a, a reflection a piece on Brady that we probably would have run Saturday if the retirement news were more concrete. But when it just became obvious that we didn't know for sure, um, the uh, the editors, Jason and, and Mo and the guys, you know, we, we decided that um, it was probably best to hold it. It's already been written. That's when you know you're really important, that your story, your post <laughs> story gets written before the, the news is right. actually breaking. But so I've already written my my Brady appreciation, and I look forward to everybody getting a chance to read it. Whenever you know, I, I don't know if Brady's gonna. You know, who knows? Maybe he'll sign a one day contract with the Patriots and retire or what? And, and I don't know. Maybe he'll whisper in Kyle Shanahan's ear, uh, ear and say, "Hey, you know, you want you want to hold off this Trey Lance thing for a year? I grew up a 49ers fan. Wouldn't that be fun? Brady in Denver, Brady in San Francisco. I, I'm not against it if he decides he wants to play. I, mean, I don't. Is it too late for the Expos uh, now? The Nationals to, to give Brady a chance at catcher." <laughs> But what I ended my piece with, I'll, I'll just spoil the ending. I said, you know, I think he, I said, I'm going to miss Tom Brady. And I said, I think even the people who didn't like Tom Brady are going to miss him, too. And that's, that's that's kind of the way I felt about, you know, I was a Brady guy. So I never really rooted for Peyton Manning. I always appreciated Peyton Manning. And then it was you know, it wasn't fun to watch Peyton Manning struggle that final season. I know they won the championship that year, but I mean, Peyton Manning played very poorly that year. It's, it's not fun, you know, people talk, people older than us talk about Willie Mays falling in the outfield or Johnny Unitas ending up on the Chargers or, you know, Wayne Gretzky's final year on the Rangers. He's like minus 23 or something like that. I mean, it, it's most guys end like that, you know, where it's, it's they, you know, Steve Young was, couldn't stay healthy and he had some concussion issues and he retired when he really didn't want to. Dan Marino's final game, I think, was 63 to 7. Very few people get to go out more or less on top. Obviously, the Buccaneers won the title two years ago. They didn't win it this year. But, I mean, the last game Brady played, they were down 27-3. to The Rams did a lot of things wrong, but Brady also led a, a very um, admirable comeback. So that could be the fight. You know, he went out with an unbelievable season, MVP-worthy, whether or not he wins it. A bunch of black ink on his football reference page. He goes over 5,000, 43 touchdowns, six picks. At age 44, when you're supposed to be playing golf, you're supposed to be an announcer, you know, and, and, and he's still playing at a high level. It's um, He was one-on-one, right? There's just nobody really you can compare him to. Obviously, he'll always be linked to Manning, but um, and, and, which is great. I mean, we, we need that, you know, Chamberlain and Russell and Bird and Magic and, and um, you know, Ovechkin and Crosby. And, you know, some guys are just meant to be linked together. Manning and Brady are, are meant to be linked together. But it was just... The Patriots, and I talked a lot about this. I'll I'll say this one thing. I'm talking way too much here, but um, the piece I wrote, the appreciation piece I wrote about Brady also just talked about how the Patriots used to be one of the joke franchises of the NFL. They had some horrible ownership. (laughs) At one point, they lost 10 straight overtime games. Uh, Even when they made the Super Bowl, it's like, oh, you know, the Bears just beat you by 100 points. And the next day, they had a drug scandal that rocked the team. Uh, Victor Kayyem was like one of the worst owners in NFL history. Twice the team looked like they were headed out of New England. 
So, you know, I, I just, the fact that once the Patriots won one Super Bowl with Brady, I felt like, wow, my fandom's been repaid. This is great. I, I don't need anything else. <laughs> I had no idea that for the next 20 years, they'd become overdogs and become hated. And, you know, people are sick of them and all that. But I'm going to miss Tom Brady. But I think even the people who didn't root for him are going to be like, you know, it was more fun when Brady was around. I, I think you're, I think even the people, even the, the haters or the sick of Brady people are going to be like, yeah, you know, I kind of miss him too. Uh, it's that's all so well said 84,520 passing yards. That's, that's just a stupid total 624 passing TDs. Like half of that is a sick total. 624 is just insane. And honestly, one of the most impressive things as you look through the career numbers, I'm on his, I'm on his pro football reference page right now. He's nowhere near the top of the career leaders in interceptions. Maybe that seems like a small thing. He's a great quarterback, but you hang around for 22 years, 21 of them as a starting quarterback, you should throw a ton of interceptions, right? Like Brett Favre is the career leader. He's 29th on the, on the career list in terms of interceptions, like just an absolutely flawless player in the last 10, 15 years. I also love on the, on the NF, on the football reference page, just, you know, I spend so much time on that wonderful site happy to support it as a premium member it has all of his nicknames and i, I just love I, eric edholm our colleague always talks about this one <laughs> of the nicknames listed is the pharaoh the it's pharaoh like, who has ever said after tom brady throws a game-winning touchdown oh the pharaoh did it again you know that <laughs> pharaoh tom brady i don't know i've never heard him called that um but and, and, you know let me leave, leave you with one more thing with brady okay this is a guy who was seventh string at one point at the University of Michigan. Dan Wetzel, um, longtime Michigan res- resident, wrote a wonderful Brady piece when the news was moving or you know, presumably moving on Saturday. And you know, Wetzel's so good. You should just read anything. He's, he's so perfect with contextual stuff. I can't wait to read all the Frank Schwab stuff, ultimately, and Brady, too, because he's terrific at that, too. But Brady was seventh quarterback at Michigan, was, was ready to leave. And you had, even when he kind of emerged, you know, he, he and uh, Brian Greasy were kind of neck and neck one year for the job, but Greasy was a year older and Lloyd Carr would say, well, we're going to lean on the upperclassmen for that. And then when Brady eventually got the job at that point, they have Drew Henson, who everybody thought was going to be this like, you know, first pick overall in the draft type of quarterback. So he had to share some time with Henson. There'd be games where they'd flip back and forth on the first and second quarter and then see who played the second half. Tom Brady comes in the NFL, pick 199. He, you know, he looks famously his shirt off photo at the combine. He looks like a paper boy. But he is, I can't think of any athlete. There are probably athletes who I could say were maybe even to him because God knows Michael Jordan, you know, got everything out of his ability. But Tom Brady was a guy who, you know, going to bed at 830 and, and just the work he does in the offseason. Nobody wanted to be greater and wanted to maximize his ability and the ability of the people around him more than Tom Brady did. And he was a culture changer. And he was a guy who just said, OK, I'm going to de- dedicate myself 365 days a year to being the absolute best I can be. And look, most people have bad days. Most people have, you know, a lazy day where they just want to sit on the couch and eat ice cream or whatever, or pizza or something. God knows I've had plenty of those days. But Tom Brady just looks like a guy who said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squeeze every bit of toothpaste out of this tube. There's going to be nothing left over. And in a, in, a, in a world where it can be hard to do that, it can be hard to stay motivated. Um, I, I just have so much admiration for just his preparation and his w- loving the process and and just saying, you know, I, I'm not, I wasn't the most physically gifted guy. I, I wasn't the high profile recruit. I was handed nothing at Michigan. I had to fight my way up that depth chart. I just think it's a really unbelievable story just where he came from. This is, this is a guy who easily could have gone through the University of Michigan, never thrown a pass. Yeah. Uh, to, to touch on something that you mentioned earlier, I like I normally appreciate the 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 full arc of a great career. Right. Where where maybe those final couple seasons do look like Peyton Manning's final season. And we get the, you know, Michael Jordan with the Wizards at the end. Like, I don't I don't need everybody to go on to, out on top, but um, hard to hard to begrudge, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting for the for the collapse to come. And it just never comes. And it's you're 44. He's 44. Like you can walk away from the game at 44. And that's I, I we certainly can't feel cheated. I, I always like to play the game where you try to, you know, connect the entire history of the league through as many or through as few players as possible. And like you can, you know, Brady's first season in the NFL is Troy Aikman's last. And so he's a bridge between like Troy Aikman and Mac Jones, which is which is crazy to me, like Jerry Rice and Jamar Chase, like the players that were still around when Brady broke into the league and the players that are here now. It's just it's 
uh, it, it's an all-time career. It's the all-time career. Let's also dive into I'm, you. You just take this wherever you want to go because we have some coaching news too to hit here at the end. Um, Brian Dable uh, to the Giants. We can talk about that. We can talk about Josh McDaniels, presumably, unless he unless he he can't possibly pull out of another head coaching job. Josh McDaniels to the Raiders. Um, you, you can give your thoughts on Coach Flus. Apparently, that's what we're calling him here in Chicago. Um, I don't know your thoughts on some of the the coaching changes. Yeah, I'll defer to you on all Chicago coaching talk, <laughs> at least the first run of that. I think Brian Dable did a very smart thing going to New York where the obviously it's a demanding fan base, it's a demanding market, it's it's a challenging media. But they just had a, a clown car of a coach. Um, you know, most most of the Belichick tree hires have not worked out. And he goes where Washington doesn't have a quarterback, and of course the Giants may not have a quarterback. You know, the Eagles are a competitive but flawed team dallas has had trouble hitting their maximum seems like something always goes wrong with them despite the talent the point being get out of the afc where you don't have to deal with josh allen and joe burrow and justin herbert and patrick mahomes on a regular basis it just feels like the nfc is more wide open not that there weren't good teams in the nfc but we just saw matthew stafford who's who's a really good player but he he throws a couple of loose balls every game play against jimmy garoppolo who you know we could we could do three hours on jimmy garoppolo and the pros and cons of him they just played in a nfc championship game that's the conference i'd want to be in the nfc east is the division i think is the giants i terrible to say this i think think they're a sleeping giant because they have a lot of talent on defense and everybody on their offense just couldn't stay healthy last year. There's talent there. And and I don't know, you know, maybe you don't trust Barkley as he gets close to his second contract. And I I don't know really where Kenny Galladay is right right away. And I don't know if Ingram's a free agent or not, or if it's his walk year, but you know, he's been kind of a disappointment since his rookie year, but you can at least see the talented players on this team. So I think Dable made a wise move going to the division. He did. And I think somebody can win there. I I think the giants were kind of a sneaky playoff contender last year when when nobody was going to go over 500 in that division. Every year we see last place teams make the playoffs the following season. I next year, if you told me the Giants went nine and eight or something and end up being the seventh seed, I, that wouldn't shock me. You know, maybe Dable can whisper the right things to Daniel Jones. You know, Josh McDaniels, he's a guy. I'll be curious to see. It's funny his career as a head coach to this point. I'm, I'm not saying the the rest of it is going to play out the same way, but he's basically followed Bill Belichick's path precisely. Right. Wow. He went to yeah. Denver. He was kind of a hard ass. They were successful. The team kind of turned on him a little bit. He he ended, um, you know, he kind of went out of there. It, it was a bad ending, you know, with, with Belichick. The team was moving to Baltimore. Modell was a slumlord, whatever. And, you know, they kind of ran McDaniels out of Denver. What's the second act? Belichick takes the Jets job. No, no, no. Actually, no, wait. I'm not taking the Jets job. I've, <laughs> I've looked under the rock. I don't want this job. What did Josh McDaniels do? I'm taking the Colts job. Oh, no. Actually, you know what? Wait a minute. I'm really happy in New England. So they both had the, some success, but kind of a more of a loss than a win with their first job. They had cold feet and jilted the team at the altar on their second job. And now I'm sure Belichick knew when he went to New England, even though he was still very well regarded as defensive coach, that you know he, he better – this is going to probably be his last chance as a head coach. And I feel like that's where McDaniels is at, that – if he's going to be a successful coach, it's going to be here because there's not going to be another chance. No, if he fails in Vegas, now there's great resources there. I think Vegas will have no problem attracting good free agents. They have the new stadium. If you believe in this karma, where these home teams seem to be hosting Super Bowls, there's a Vegas Super Bowl in our near future. I don't know that I'd be excited to be facing Mahomes and Herbert on a regular basis. Although we talked earlier about Kansas City's roster challenge, now that Mahomes' contract is going to kick in and it's going to dominate the salary cap, but I don't know. I think Josh McDaniels is a good coach. I wonder if he's learned the way Belichick learned. Belichick made some mistakes in Cleveland, and I think he was a better head coach in New England by the time he got to Cleveland, and he understood part of of how he could be a kind of a taskmaster coach, but but maybe he couldn't crack the whip the way he did quite in Cleveland. And, And I wonder if McDaniels learned anything from a Denver tenure where it seemed like he turned everybody against them, fan base, media base, locker room. I wonder what he's learned uh, between that job and you know the time he was in New England. I think it's an interesting hire. I, I guess it, it begs the question of, is is Derek Carr? He's such a tough quarterback to evaluate. Is he a long term answer there? 
Is he just good enough to lose with? They did make the playoffs, right? It's hard to believe it, but the Raiders were in the playoffs, and that game with Cincinnati was competitive. The Raiders are only a couple plays away from winning that football game. Is is Derek Carr another five or six year answer at, at in Vegas? Or the the problem is once you know it's kind of what Cleveland faces with Mayfield. It's like it's fine to say Baker Mayfield isn't good enough, but what are you going to do if if he's not good enough? Who's your guy? You know, the, there isn't an apple tree where the quarterbacks fall off. So. <laughs> I think it's going to be fun to have McDaniel's in the in the game. He's back in the division. He's coached. Uh, he'll he'll be kind of a villain. You know, he'll get jeered if he plays the Colts next year. He'll get jeered in Denver. Um, he's a very unapologetically him. Is a very strong id with McDaniel's. I think he's a good offensive designer. Can he be a CEO coach? I think it's an interesting hire. I I I would have preferred maybe somebody like Brian Flores, a younger guy. Uh, somebody who maybe doesn't have some of the baggage or scar tissue that McDaniel's does, but I think it's going to be. I think that the Raiders will be very much like they were this year. And look, they just had the season from hell with so many unforeseen things that happened, and the, the Rugs tragedy, and the way the Gruden era ended. Um, you know, nobody wants to live through all that stuff again. But I think it's kind of going to be fun to have McDaniel's in charge with the Raiders. I still think they're going to go seven and ten, but I think it's going to be fun to have him. <laughs> you know, wearing the, wearing the visor and chewing the gum and and, and just do, doing Josh McDaniel's things. I agree with all your points on McDaniels. I am sneaky excited isn't even the way to put it. I'm, I'm just flat out excited for Brian Dable in New York for, for many of the reasons that you said, right. It's a, it's a, it's a team that, you know, the coaching decisions can't get much worse. Um, The division couldn't be much friendlier. He's obviously coming off a great run in Buffalo and they might have something at the quarterback position. Like Daniel Jones was one of those guys, especially early in the season, you could kind of squint a little bit and see somebody who was really interesting, at least for fantasy purposes and had clearly improved um, from, you know, he came into the league a little bit of a punchline. He was um, he was fun early this year. He was fun in September and October. And the other the other name that I don't know if you brought up is um, Kadarius Tony looked like a star like it and it and it only happened for a minute right and then we lost him and then he was uh, you know various it was a medley of injuries toward the end of the season but at his best when they were feeding him that that looked like a guy who you know if I'm a if I'm a young fan of that team I'm buying the jersey um, Kadarius Tony looked like a real thing looked like a, a a definite playmaker so that combination of Jones and whatever we have left with Saquon and Kadarius Tony I'm uh, like and a, a pretty frisky defense like a sneaky frisky defense I'm um, I'm ready to see what that looks like Daniel Jones deserves the chance to work with a quarterback whisperer which is yes. Dable's reputation so. You know, if it doesn't work out for Jones after this year, I think we can close the book on him. But he was a first round pick. He has you have you have been moments of dare I say greatness. And, and remember, it, let me make it very clear what I'm saying here because I'm, I'm not com- comparing Daniel Jones to to Josh Allen apples for apples. But there was a time where Josh Allen was seen as great athlete, great skills. You know, yep. all the tools. I think the Selfino line is you know he's got all the tools but doesn't have the toolbox. And Dable had certainly a role in shaping, you know, give Allen most of the credit, but Dable had a role in, in shaping Allen into one of the most valuable players in the league, maybe the most valuable quarterback in the league right now if you started fresh. That's how good Josh Allen is, how great Josh Allen is. And so if I were Daniel Jones, I, I would be privately, I know, you know, publicly you have to kind of say the right thing, but privately I'd be like, you know, let's get an offensive guy in here. You know, Joe Judge was a special teams coach. Hell yeah. He was a CEO coach. Let's let's get a guy who has the credentials to, to maybe turn this offense around and, and, and make it what it could be. Um, and, and you mentioned, I didn't mention Tony earlier. I was, I was um, wrong to do that, but there's this exciting pieces here. So I, I think this is going to be, I guess what I'm talking myself into is I'm going to be telling you in May and June. Oh yeah. I've been doing a lot of best ball drafting. I got a lot of Daniel Jones is like my <laughs> second quarterback in like the 12th round or something like that. I, I have a feeling I'm going to be in on that. There it is. Get excited. Giants fans. That is all that we have for you today. It was plenty. It was a lot. Uh, of course, if you want to keep the conversation going on Twitter, make sure to follow me at Andy Barons, And of course, follow Scott. Again, it's his birthday. Give him a very special birthday follow. He is at Scott underscore Pianowski. While you're at it, go ahead and double check that you are following at Yahoo Fantasy. Liz, Matt, and Dalton Del Don will be back on Friday to go over some Super Bowl prop bets. But until then, we are out. <laughs>